It's good to be here. My name is Dean. I'm one of the pastors at Alpine. I get the opportunity to travel around to the different campuses, so it's always neat to do that and exciting to see what God is doing at all of our at all of our campuses. So, recently been up in Logan and then over to Layton and. Really excited about what uh, is coming up for Syracuse. Uh, you can continue to pray for that campus as we begin to go to the next stage of rehabbing the building that we now have and hopefully getting into that facility in March or April to uh, really impact that community um, for Christ. So um, continue to pray for that. Um, we're in a new series. I guess this is the third week of the series. I want to do a little disclaimer before I begin, and that is there will be no comments about the Dallas Cowboys. I saw one or two individuals with cowboy um, jerseys on. I thought they all got rid of their jerseys, actually, but <laughs> anyway... <laughs> <laughs> yes, next year. All right, so we're in a new series called uh, Resilient. Let me give you kind of a summary of where we've been with this series. Week one, uh, we took a look at the fact that God is the one that has created and given us emotions, and he even himself possesses emotions. Some of those emotions that God has we may not even be comfortable with. We also saw that the enemy will attempt to use those emotions against us to destroy us. We also saw that we are to harness our difficult emotions in order to build our faith. And that is the definition that we are using for resilience. And then last week, we looked at an example of anger being one of those difficult emotions. And we saw Moses and we saw Cain, who actually did not harness their emotion of anger correctly, and it basically impacted the course of their lives. And so this week, we're going to be looking at the emotion of fear and how we can use that difficult emotion to build our faith rather than having it to destroy our faith. And the text that we're going to be looking at today to see how we can do that is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you'd like to turn there in your Bibles or your Bible app, please feel free to do that. I want to give you a little bit of context as it relates to Second um, Chronicles. Um, and so I'd like to do that. And it introduced, Second Chronicles introduces King Jehoshaphat. And King Jehoshaphat was the sixth king of the Davidic kingdom. He was the fourth king of Judah after the secession of the northern tribes. And he ruled from 873 to 849 B.C., roughly about... 25 years. His father was actually King Asa, and he reigned for 41 years, which was uh, a long period of time. In fact, it says that he was blameless all of his days. In fact, 
there was no wars for the first 35 years of his reign, which was very, very unusual. And we probably could have brought him up last week when we were talking about anger, because unfortunately at near the end of his reign, he became angry at an individual that was named Hananiah, and he got so angry at him that he threw him into prison. Um, and because he was upset with him because he was telling King Asa that he was acting foolishly. And as a result of King Asa's anger, he allowed it to master him. He didn't harness it well. And so he did not do what our key verse of this series tells us to do. And if we look at the key key verse of our series, it is, and from Proverbs 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And King Asa did not guard his heart in this particular situation, and because of that, the course of his life got off track. In fact, the scripture says that from that period on, he began to oppress others which was completely different than what he had done all the years that he had reigned. And as a result of all of this, we find that at the end of his life, he has a serious foot disease that soon kills him. And we'll, we'll come back and visit him in a little bit. But back to Jehoshaphat. And the Bible says that he was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord, and he removed all of the high places. And these are high places that his father, even though his father was blameless before the Lord, did not remove all of the high places. But the Bible says King Jehoshaphat did. And he also sent all of his officials to teach in all of the towns of Judah. It says they took copies of the book of the law of the Lord and traveled around through all of the towns of Judah teaching the people. And during his reign, there were actually four different kings of Israel that ruled at the same time he was ruling in the other tribes. And those kings, one of them included Ahab, which he was allied through through marriage. And he became a really close friend of King Ahab. And so King Ahab one day asked him to go out into battle with him. And of course, of course King Jehoshaphat said, well, yeah, sure, you're my brother, so I'll go with you. Um, but will you please first check with your prophets to see that God is behind it? And so King Ahab said, okay. So he got his 400 prophets together, and all of his prophets, the, the scripture says, were deceived. And they all said that it would be okay to go to war and that they would be given the land and the territory. But there was one prophet... Micaiah, that said, no, you're not to go. And King Ahab says, well, you always tell me that evil's going to come before me. So I'm going to do the same thing that King Asa did to Hananiah. I'm going to throw you in prison. <laughs> so he didn't like what he said, so he threw him in prison and gave him little to drink and moved on. And so Jehoshaphat was aware of the fact that this prophecy had taken place, but it appears that he went along with it, and, 
ignored the message of this one prophet. And so they went to war and to battle, and they should have listened to the prophet. Because what happens is King Ahab gets killed by a random arrow that struck him in a joint of the armor. And so we'll also revisit him in just a few minutes. But Jehoshaphat survives that battle and he returns home. And guess who's there to meet him? Well, it's not Hananiah, but it's his son Jehu that meets him to tell him and confront him about going to battle. And so Jehu asks Jehoshaphat, why did you go to battle with King Ahab when you knew that they were not following the Lord? Now, King Jehoshaphat could have easily become angered by this, just like his father had previously become angered. But it appears that he harnessed his anger, and he accepted what he had to say, And it tells us that he goes on and he institutes reforms throughout all of Judah. So he takes the criticism, he harnesses if any emotions, negative emotions that may have come from that, and he does some positive things. So everything is going great for Jehoshaphat. Scripture says that he had great riches and honor. And this is where we pick up the events. We pick them up in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, After this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, A vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news. Out of nowhere, with no warning, a multitude is coming against him, and it says that he was terrified. It often happens that way with us, doesn't it? Out of nowhere, all of a sudden, we feel overwhelmed by fear. It's usually one of these fears, many of which Jehoshaphat probably felt. The fear of failure, not meeting expectations or failing in a task. This probably was a part of Jehoshaphat's fear. He had worked hard to reform Judah, and I'm sure he was, etc., could be taken away in battle. This is actually one of the of all of those fears that are listed up there, that's probably one of the biggest fears that, that I deal with. I always have dealt with not feeling good enough, not succeeding, feeling less than. It even impacted me in my career before I was here. Even though I was successful in my career, I was always, there was always this fear that I wasn't good enough for the next position up. I just put in a greenhouse, and I have this fear that I'm going to fail with the plants. (laughs) It may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's like I've invested all of this into this greenhouse, and the only thing I can think about is how I'm going to screw it up. Maybe your fear 
has to do with your profession, your failure, fear of failure may have to do with your profession, maybe it has to do with your family, being good enough as a parent or as a spouse. Maybe your fear of failure has to do with not accomplishing a goal that you've set out for yourself. Then there's the fear of the unknown. I'm sure Jehoshaphat was concerned, maybe fearful of what would take place if he lost this battle. I know that I really feel for our younger generation today. When I was growing up, I really, it it, it felt like I know what the future was going to be like. But for our younger generation today, I, I don't think they feel that same way. I don't think they feel that security that maybe I felt when I was a kid because the future is so unknown. I mean, just think of artificial intelligence and where that's going. So I'm sure our our young people have fear about the future, and not only do our young people have fear of the future, probably you as a parent or a grandparent have some fears for them because of that. Closely associated with that is the fear of change. Jehoshaphat may have been fearing a change in leadership, Maybe you're fearing a change today, a change at work, a change of schools, a change in a relationship, a change that comes with aging. I'm afraid that's right around the corner for me. I uh, wake up in the morning and sometimes I don't know whose body I'm in. Some of you can relate to that. Others of you, just wait. It's coming. You'll feel it. Then there's the fear of pain, whether it's pain, injury, or illness. I'm sure Jehoshaphat, with his battle coming before him, had fears of that. I know that last week I had an individual come up and ask for prayer because of the pain that they were experiencing and the fear that it would just continue and increase in their life. I know that illness is something that some people really deal with. It can be debilitating to them. We saw that during the period of COVID. There were people that were afraid to come out of their house because they were fearful that they would get sick. There's the fear of loss. Jehoshaphat is said to have had many riches. He was very blessed. And I'm sure he could have been fearful that he was going to lose that all. Not to be stereotypical, but usually, so don't get, don't get mad at me, but usually... Guys are fearful of losing possessions, and women are fearful of losing relationships, especially when it's tied into their status or to their identity. We have fears that are related around that. Then there's the fear of rejection. I think to some extent many of us deal with that. We don't want to be 
identified as crazy. We don't want to be marginalized. We want to be kind of in the in group. We have fears regarding that, and then many have fear of death. It's hard to go through this list without identifying yourself and associating yourself to some of those fears, probably more than one of them. But you might be saying to yourself, okay, Dean, so I got a couple of fears. Is it really that big of a spiders and heights and so forth? And aren't there good fears that keep you out of trouble? Yes, there are, but that's not the fears that we're talking about this morning. I'm talking about those that are a big deal in our lives. Fears that cause us to make wrong decisions. Fears that cripple us. Fears that make us believe things that are not true about ourselves. Fears that call into question the goodness of God. Fears that keep us from fulfilling the mission we were created for. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which were prepared far in advance for us to do. Well, how do we accomplish those things if we're in fear? How do we even disciple others if we are living a life of fear? To a great extent, fear is the exact opposite of faith. Not much faith is being demonstrated when we are in the grasps of fear. And that's where the enemy would like us to be. He wants to use that emotion of fear to destroy our faith. He wants us to begin to doubt God because that shows us how we can harness our fears so that we are building our faith rather than having it to destroy our faith. We can definitely learn some lessons from Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 23 through four says this. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat uses a three-part plan to address and to harness his fears. The first thing he does is he recognizes his emotions and admits that he is afraid. It's a big deal. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't squash it. He doesn't deflect it. He doesn't blame others because of it. He asks the same question that God asked of Cain. He asks, why do I have this emotion? He tries to understand where it's coming from, and he owns it. That's the beginning of harnessing it. And then second, he turns to God. It says that he begged for guidance from the Lord. We're powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. See, Jehoshaphat had learned from 
two recent situations what not to do. And the first one had to do with his dad. We go back and look at that scripture in 2 Chronicles 16. It says, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even with the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. So it says that he did not even seek the Lord's help at the time that he had a fear of his illness. So Jehoshaphat had experienced that and had learned from that. And then he also learned from his friend King Ahab, where it says the king, King Ahab of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, as we go into battle, I will disguise myself so no one will recognize me, but you wear your royal robes. In battle, where Ahab feared death, he did not seek the Lord. He came up with this plan to disguise himself and put his friend up where everybody could see his friend. He did not seek out God. He trusted in his own scheme. How often do we do the same thing as King Ahab and King Asa, where we seek everything except God to overcome our fears. In both of those situations, how did it end? It ended in their destruction. It ended in their death. Fear ruled out. The enemy used fear to, destroy, to come to God and admit that we are powerless against our fears and that we need to seek him and beg him to intervene. Third, Jehoshaphat acted on his faith. It says that he started a fast. He didn't act on his fear. He acted in his faith. He took a conscious step of faith by placing himself in utter dependence upon God. That's what fasting does. It puts you in a position where you're depending and recognizing that God is the only thing that can help you. He submitted to God and he sought after God and God's final word on this matter. No different than Jesus did in, uh, later when he was fasting himself and said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. King Je Jehoshaphat also took action by getting others involved. He asked others to join in that fast. He didn't attempt to do it by himself. The question we could ask ourselves is what acts do we do to take against our fear? Do we pray? Do we fast? Do we maybe even wear a alpine t-shirt out in the public if your fear is being rejected? 
Maybe that's a step for some of you. Maybe we need to take a step out into the unknown and have faith that God will be there for us. Well, we know how it ended for King Ahab and King Asa when they didn't harness their emotion of anger. It ended in death and destruction. So how does it go along now with Jehoshaphat? How does it proceed since he's taken these steps? Second Chronicles 20.15 says, Listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle to defeat your fears, no matter how mighty and great they are, is not yours. It's God's. Do you believe that? That's where the whole concept of using your fears to build your faith comes in. When you take your fears and you turn them over to God, it will build your faith. Interestingly enough, moving on, it says, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. I find it very interesting that he says, you know what? The battle's not yours. You don't have to fin and stand. What is your position? What is your position in Christ? Ephesians 2 gives us, Ephesians 1 and 2 gives us a beautiful picture of our position in Christ. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have an inheritance. In him we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In him we are alive in Christ. In him we are seated with him in the heavenlies. If that's our position, what is there to fear? 2 Timothy 1.17 talks about that we have a spirit of power, not of fear or timidity. Our job is to stand in our position, face that fear, and watch the Lord have victory in our lives. Jehoshaphat did exactly that. He stood, he watched, and look what happened. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. God can do miracles with your fear if you turn it over to him. Things that you don't even think are possible, God can accomplish. Your fears do not have to end in death. 
they can end in blessing. It goes on and says, on the fourth day, they gathered in the valley of blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the valley of blessing today. So the question for you and for me today is, is your fear destroying or building your faith? It's doing one or the other. Is it leading you to death or is it leading to blessings in your life? Are you guarding the emotions of your life? Are you guarding fear and making sure that you're harnessing it so that it doesn't change the course of your life like it did for Ahab and Asa in a negative direction? We all have fears. We need to turn those over and need a faith to build our faith when we have those fears. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, I know that each and every one of us has different fears. I can't imagine that there's anybody here that doesn't have any fears. And sometimes we allow those fears to consume us. We know, Father, that the enemy would like to use those fears to destroy our faith. Lord, let us take that seriously. Father, help us to use Jehoshaphat as an example that we can follow, that we need to recognize those fears, that we need to turn to you, seek you, and take acts of faith. Lord God, help Help those fears build our faith, not destroy our faith. Help, help us to grow in you because of them. In Jesus' name, amen.